den Haag Gorilla Conk in Est Spittelauk. And so it is with a great deal of solemnity. It is with a great deal of solemn consideration and deliberation that once again we here on this concerned radio station, a radio station that deals almost exclusively with the deep innermost passions of man's extremist desires for the existence of uh, of uh, 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 the uh, oh shucks, oh god, it! I forgot what we're trying to do here. This, would you please hold it up like? Yeah, get out of the way. It's just, uh, no, no, that's the wrong sign. She yells up a sign. It's just, read commercials loud. Oh, come on. This is not what that's all about. I just wish people would, uh, I love a parade. For a rootity toot, a rootity toot, a beat of the drums. La ta 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 ta, ta 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 ta, ta 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 ta, ta 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 ta. I love a parade, the beat of the drums, la ta ta ta, razzmatazz. Gee whiz, you know I think people, everybody should have an echo chamber in his house. I I really mean that. Have, have any of you wondered just how it is that everybody in, in the movies have such fantastic chests and they're so tall and so handsome and all that? Well, why not? They've got 45 guys in the makeup department alone. And, and uh, their camera angles are just right, lighting in the whole business. And, and uh, they, they, they even do things with their voices. Sure. I mean, you, know, you don't think that Eddie Fisher can sing, do you? Oh, come on. They wind him up. The key comes out of the back. Where do you think they got the idea for that commercial? What is it? The executives unwind at the Sheraton? Got the key? It winds up. I'm unwinding. Oh, yeah, yeah. Hello, gang. My secretary winds me up there. And now uh, I'll give you an idea. Now, look, look. Now, watch this now. Now, I'll give you an example of what production can do to a person. Now, listen carefully now. Better living is possible, friends, through technology. It is. Now, listen carefully now. What if I were to come in and I sing, uh, Oh, Danny boy, I hear you calling. Not yet. Don't, don't tip the gaff, man. You wait for my cue here. Oh, Danny boy. All right, now. All right, now that sounds like nothing, right? And it is nothing. That's, that's the worst song ever written, right? Okay, now... Uh, Let's face it, it's the worst absolute tripe ever written. Right next to uh, the bluebird of happiness, it stands. I, I would put Danny Boy a little bit to the right of... Uh, it takes a heap of living to make a house a home. Uh, it's all in the same category, but it sounds like nothing. So if, quit it out there. So if I walk in and I'm singing, Oh, Danny Boy, La Taracia da Chirichi, that song would have died in 15 minutes. But if, however, I walk in and I go, Oh, Danny boy, I hear you calling, calling me. Great Scott. I mean, they're going to listen to that, man. Now, and let's take, for example, everybody's sitting around the kitchen, you know, and uh, they've got this little cake, and it's got coconut on it, see? And it's got these little candles all over the top of it. And they sing, uh, 
Happy birthday, dear Charlie. Happy birthday, dear Charlie. Happy birthday, dear Charlie. Happy birthday to you. Nothing. I mean, sure, the spirit is there. But where's the timbre? Where's the production? And Charlie, like everybody else, has been brought up in the age of showbiz. And so his little birthday ceremony falls flat on its you-know-what. He grins. <laughs> yeah, okay. But just think how it would be if 17 voices suddenly strike up with technology. It's very simple, no problem. And go, Happy birthday, dear Charlie. Happy birthday, dear Charlie. Happy birthday, dear Charlie. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, Happy birthday, dear Charlie. Happy birthday to you. go down, and a great silver flame rises out of the kitchen table. It's lit by Jeannie Rosenthal. The production is under the, the overall direction of Jerome Robbins. Happy birthday, dear Charlie. Oh, he's a jolly good fellow. He's a jolly good fellow, and he's a jolly good fellow, as anyone can see. I just want to ask you, who, who could, who could have a dry eye under those conditions? Now, just like I say, um, <laughs> just like I said, what's the matter, man? You can realize, of course, you're watching the master at work. Realize that. You better know it. However, uh, like I say, 
A better living is possible through technology. Now, now people who put technology down have really not utilized it. Do you agree with me, Skip? I mean, you're a technocrat. I can tell that right now. I can see the way your neon glasses light up. There's a certain, uh, uh, you know. And uh, people just haven't absorbed it, haven't taken, taken advantage of it. Not, not for example, now. Uh, have, have any of you ever seen an electric eye? Well, you know what is an electric eye. You know what it does. It's a, this is a selenium cell. We can go into the whole business of how it works. Do you want to know how the electric eye actually works? That, uh, by the way, I, I, I'm going to have to warn you that that is going to appear on the exams for next semester. Uh, you do not have to take uh, notes right now on the selenium cell. However, uh, I would just like to uh, give you a little tip that if you'd like to get a little advanced reading for next semester, you might look up the selenium cell, its uses and its applications, and the various limitations that it does have. Now, however, I would like to say this, that the limitations of the selenium cell are actually just the limitations of man's mind that the selenium cell can do doggone near anything if you really want to get it on the stick. Now, uh, I'm a kid one time, for those of you here in class who want to know uh, how this thing actually works, I'm a kid one time, and and uh, I used to read Allied catalogs the way other kids read uh, Captain Marvel. You know, I'd, I'd see the, the lesser kids sitting around and in Miss Robinette's class in sixth grade, and they're reading stuff like uh, Captain Marvel Returns. They're reading stuff, you know, they're little big little books, and they're reading uh, uh, comic books. And I would sit there. Of course, you know, one thing that a kid doesn't want to do, he doesn't want to, a kid doesn't want to find himself separated from the herd. And so I wonder how many kids are pretending they like rock and roll. I mean, <laughs> they, it's not easy. Uh, you got to stay in. And I just like, like I know a lot of guys when they get grown up, you know, I know guys who think that uh, that a martini tastes just a little bit this side of battery acid. And yet they fake it, you know. And so when Chucky over at the Le, Le, uh, Le Miserable du Frit orders, uh, you know, a round of martinis, he says, uh, oh, my God, you just, you, you fellas just not, haven't had a martini till you've had Henri's martinis. Henri, five of my specials. All right? Uh, yeah. They are so dry that these things make blotters seem like a big rainstorm. Well, the waiter arrives, and he plunks down five martinis. And I would say out of the five martini drinkers, two guys are faking it. Their eyes are watering. And, <laughs> very good. <laughs> Nothing like a good <coughs> coffee. Brack. Nothing like a good <coughs> martini. Of course, if you see, uh, to a non-martini drinker, a martini has a tendency to clear the sinuses forcefully. I mean, if you think anahis can do it, Dad, oh, boy, a martini in the wrong pipe. <laughs> Have you ever had that fantastically embarrassing problem when you're being very, very chic? You know, you're playing it right to the hilt, and you've got your suit on, and your white shirt, the good one with the cuffs. And uh, you've got your cufflinks, you know, the little cufflinks that are battery-operated that you can operate from the pocket, you know, and the little lights glow. And I, I have a little, you know, I have, well, I have an obscene set of cufflinks somebody gave to me that have batteries in them. Have you ever seen these little tiny batteries that they put in watches? Little bitty selenium, tiny, little tiny cell batteries, you know. And these two cufflinks have got batteries in them. And one cufflink is an exact imitation, an exact scale model of Big Ben, the clock. 
And if you turn it in the back, it lights up. Oh, and I don't even want to tell you what the other one is. The other one is an exact scale model of the MGM Lion, and it lights up. And, uh, well, I, I, uh, I don't have to tell you who gave that to me. It was a promotional gimmick, but what, a, what an unbelievable pair of gauche. <laughs> and they're about the size of small bowling balls. I don't have to add that to you. They weigh four and a half pounds apiece. And that you're sitting there with your cufflinks on, and they're all lit up, and Big Ben is chiming, and the lion is roaring, and, and you're drinking your martini, and you're trying to play it up. Have you ever had the experience of getting something down the wrong pipe? You know the expression, getting it down the wrong pipe? And you sip this thing, you're being very careful, you know, your little pinky is up in the air there. And, uh, oh, this happened to me one time. It happened to me over here in Limarmaton, which is an east side boat. Uh, over here, and I'll tell you, there ain't no boat of your boat than this one. Uh, speaking of an east side, uh, this is WOR in New York. And, and uh, KRAB Seattle. A bunch of sales executives and official people that we're trying to sell something to. And uh, I could, you know, everybody's sweating, and I could see the sales manager over there nervous that Shepard's going to pull another one of his, you know, his usual gaffes, like getting up and the shoe falls off or something like that. And we're all sitting around, like the time that my pants fell apart. You ever hear about that time? I don't know what, what it was. It was something in the air. You remember the a few years ago when the girls were yelling, when girls wore stockings? You remember girls were yelling that they'd walk around in New York and all of a sudden holes would appear in all their nylons and all that? you recall that? Well, I went to a restaurant one day with this friend of mine, and we were really selling it up big. You know, we had the martinis and the shakers, and we had the wine and the ice bucket and the whole business. We were putting it on big. And I put my... I put my... 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 My leg over my other leg, you know, with the knee up there, and I'm sitting there, and I'm saying, yeah, well, of course, Chucky, why, there's nothing to it. Well, I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll get the media research director on it, and I look down, something caught my eye, and I see it's my knee sticking out through my kneecap. My knee is sticking out through my pants. My knee, it's white. My knee is sticking out there. And I suddenly become aware of everybody looking at my knee, and I put my foot down like that. I said, what the hell? You know, <laughs> something happened here with my pants, and I kind of shifted a little bit, and, and uh, I got up and, and uh, straightened around. I thought, well, I, I must have caught it on the bottom of the table, see, something like that. So about five minutes later, I've had another martini, you see, and uh, I've forgotten all about this. You know, you begin to get a little uh, self, a uh, little bit of bravura is beginning to enter the scene, see. And so I throw my other leg over my knee, and all of a sudden I see this big white thing. It's about the size of a tennis ball sticking out. It is my kneecap. It's come right through my pants. My pants are falling apart right there in front of my eyes. And one of the guys goes, <clears throat> Brack. I mean, you know, you don't show up at La Miserable du Frit with your, with your kneecaps hanging out of your pants, you know, and I, and I've had about three martinis, and I'm getting a little, you know, you know that that moment you, when you begin to hear bells and whistles, and somebody, somebody, even though it's the middle of March or something, somewhere somebody is celebrating uh, New Year's, and uh, you know you're ready to have the party. I get up and I start saying, "Oh, what a pleasure!" And I start going through. I'm, I'm going. I'm, I'm heading for you know what. And as I do so, I become aware it's very breezy. Everything is breezy, and I look down, and I can't believe it. I go into the john, and there's holes all over my pants. My pants are falling right off of me. I mean, there's holes all over. I put my hand in my back pocket, and my pocket comes right off. It just falls down, you know. Oh, my God, what am I going to do? 
And all these guys are sitting around with their Brooks Brothers suits and their button-down collars and their $400 jackets and the whole bit. And I've got this pair of pants made out of made out of old toweling or something. It's you know, it's just like that. You know, like Scott Tissue has made my pants, and they got caught in the rain, and it's beginning to come apart. And, and I, 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 I get this fantastic idea. I'm, I'm in the john. They're seeing it. got holes all over. Luckily, luckily, this day I had not brought my ballpoint pen. I've got this real pen that's got ink. Well, I don't know whether you've ever stayed in the john and painted your kneecaps surge-colored, you know. <laughs> You don't want to hear the rest of this sordid story, how I went out looking like Groucho Marx, chasing an electric rabbit, trying to hide low behind the tables. Well, these are all the kind of things that happen to man in his real life, his real pursuit, his real existence. You know, I once worked in Philadelphia, and people keep writing to me and say, why don't you, why don't you tell us about the time in Philadelphia? What's to tell? I mean, what can you say? I mean, it's like spending two years in a diving bell, 3,000 feet below the surface. And you come up and you say, well, I was down there. It's deep. I say, well, what else? Well, it's dark. So, well, what else? Well, there's a lot of water. What else? Nothing. I say, well, how come you stayed down there two years? Well, that's what I'm asking myself now. (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm wondering why, why there hasn't been a new... A new breed of existentialist writers come out of Philadelphia because if there's any atmosphere that can breed existentialism, it's walking along Broad Street at certain times of the day. You stand there and you look up at that monstrosity, you know, they, and you look up there and at the, who was that, Penn? Yeah, William Penn. Ben, Frank? That's old Frank, huh? They're still hung on Benjamin Franklin there, aren't they? Or is it, which one? Is it Penn? Penn. Yeah, poor old Penn. And the, he looks down there. He's made out of iron, see? And he looks... He was made out of iron when he was alive. And uh, he, he looks down, and they look up, and I don't know. It's just... Oh, it's all fitting. And, I, and it's, a, it's a... The Chinese wall is gone, you know, the whole thing. The river flows on. I remember one time I sat down at the school kill with a guy. You want to talk about Philadelphia? All right, I'll talk about Philadelphia. I sat down there one morning. There was a guy at the station who used to used to work around the station. He was kind of a handyman at the station I worked at. And one morning, I got off the air. See, I was on the air till about 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning there. And I got off the air, and he's walking around the halls there, and he's got this big mop and stuff, and he's got with him a fishing rod, see. So I said to him, hey, Clem, where are you going fishing? He said, ah, going down a river. I said, what river? He says, the river down there. I said, you mean the school kill? Yep. I said, there's fish in there? He says, yep. I said, what kind of fish? He's a big fish. I said, big fish? What kind of fish? I don't know. Just big fish. Well, that morning, you want it, You know what happened? So I, at 4 o'clock in the morning, went down to the river, right down there by the bridge in the park there, and we sat on the concrete, both of us, and we fished in the Schoolkill River just as the dawn came up like thunder. And it certainly does come up like thunder. It comes up actually over the 30th Street Station, and uh, <laughs> which is, uh, you know, has its own special flavor, I suppose, if you're hung on that kind of stuff. There are people who like the Marquis de Sade. There are other people who get mad. It's all a matter of taste. And, and the, the, the sun is coming up like thunder, and all those cars are pouring through the park, and guys are swearing and yelling. I saw one of the saddest human dramas I ever saw in my life, right there, and right in the park, 
right in the park, right along the river there, you know, that road that runs along the river and everybody comes tearing in there. It's again 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock in the morning. The sun is just getting just getting up. and You, be, you know about a place when you're around at the dawn, see? And I'm riding along like mad in my car, and I'm, I'm almost late to where I'm going. I had to be on a morning radio station very early in the morning. My old buddy Jack Pyle was doing a radio show in the morning, and he wanted me to be on the show with him, see? So I'm tearing through the darkness there. It's, it's dawn, and it's cold. And ahead of me is this uh, Philadelphia-type Plymouth. Now, they have, they have special cars in Philadelphia. Even the, even the cars look square. I don't know what it is. You can get the wildest looking car. You get a, you get a, 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 a D-model Jaguar, and somehow it looks like a little old lady should own it, you know. It's Philadelphia, so we're going through the darkness there. I'm driving along, and I see that the trunk of this car is open. It's one of these cars with a big trunk on the back, and it's open. He's got a couple of big fins sticking up there in the middle, and the trunk is open, and he's got a little string holding the trunk down, but there is something in the trunk, and that's why he's got it pulled down, See, but it's open. See, whatever it is, is too big to fit in the trunk, but he's got it in the trunk. He's got the string. So we're going along there, and a couple of guys whistle past me, and a guy whistles on the other side of me. We're all whistling along. We're, we're all wrapped in our own dreams. And let me tell you, that's what Philadelphia specializes in, people wrapped in their own dreams. And uh, we're going along. You can see the river down there. And, uh, and that, 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 that Greek monstrosity, the museum, standing up there like, uh, you know, it, it stands up there like some, some wedding cake or something. You expect to see this little guy made out of icing standing on top of it, you know, and this girl made out of icing. And he's painted, you know, with a little black tuxedo. And underneath it, it says, uh, good luck. And, uh, <laughs> and we're driving along. I, no, 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 don't get me wrong. Just like Sidney Skolsky says, don't get me wrong. I love Philadelphia. And uh, this, is the, this is one of those moments that, that happen in life, that are the real moments in life. And suddenly I see the trunk of the car. This guy's cut in ahead of me, and this road has a lot of wavinesses in it when you're going through the park there. And uh, it's one of those roads, she's going up and down, and I see his trunk, eek, squeak, eek, squeak, and then I see the the little cord go, uh-oh, and up goes the back of his trunk. Now, he's about 100 yards ahead of me, and he hits another bump. He goes, whoop, like that, and then, boom, out of the trunk, I see this television set. It bounces out. And it, have you ever seen a 23-inch television set spread eagled against the morning sky in Philadelphia with its little rabbit ears hanging out there, beseeching to the heavens? Well, it spun once or twice in the air, just spread eagled like that, right in the middle of the street. It made a slow immelman. It try, I, I could see that it was trying to recover. It made a slow power barrel roll with the left wing down, the little rabbit ear flapping beseechingly again, and then... Pow! All over the street, the television set. Well, we, we, you know, I swerved to the left. Another guy behind me swerved to the right. And the guy who was driving the Plymouth, he swerved into the bushes. And now there are nine cars all stopped. And we got out of our cars and we walked out to the middle of the street. And there, right, right on the center line, right there in the middle of that asphalt, that bumpy asphalt that William Penn himself laid low these many years ago, right in the middle of the asphalt, in the middle of Fairmont Park, with the Schuylkill River sneaking along there, smelling up the joint, and you could see the sun coming up like thunder over the 30th Street Station. There, 
spread out all over the street was this television set, breathing its last, was gasping. And the guy who owned it stood there, and he took his cap off, his tear coming down his eyes, and I stood there, and I, you just got to do something, see, and I didn't wear a hat, so I took my coat off, you know, it was a moment of deep and solemn. We were in, uh, you know, what do you do when you're in at a sudden death of that kind? You know, you just all you can do is stand around and look. And I realized then, at that moment, that something had died in Philadelphia. Something had died for all of us. That the contact to the outside world, symbolically, was lying there with its poor little bent rabbit ears. Its poor little sink circuit, uh, all busted to pieces. Its poor little horizontal voltage amplifier just cracked right in the middle. And we stood there and looked for a minute, and one of the guys says, Well, well, guess that's life. It was life. A dead television set is a dead life in Philadelphia. That's life. That is life. And I got back in my car, and, and all the rest of us got back in our cars, and we drove slowly on. And we all knew that somehow, somehow we had learned something. We had learned something that moment, that instant in Philadelphia. Yes. And that little tiny band of Philadelphians of which I was a member, that little tiny band of men struggling over the curving surface of this poor, sad planet Earth. That one brief instant of insight, that realization of mortality, that we are but here for an instant, as we left that poor, sad, battered television set, lying spread-eagled, its mortal remains naked to the growing sun, as we moved on towards the 30th Street Station, as we moved down and turned left at Market, we headed deep into the heart of darkness, deep into the heart of the Stygian pit that man digs for himself. And so tonight we salute you, O city of brotherly love. Yes. It is with a sense of dignity and fitness, a sense of deep understanding of the condition of man, that we salute you, Philadelphia, in all your struggling, moiling, embattled mediocrity. We salute thee tonight. When you hear the cannons go on. Says it, Peter, baby. That's says it. Old Elliot slid it down, didn't he? And that, you can see why I have no friends. Wait till I light up this cigar. Yeah, 
Better living, I've just got to get back to our original theme, that better living is certainly not only available, but it's, uh, it's realizable through technology. I felt this for a long time. And I'm this kid, see, and I'm uh, reading uh, the Allied catalogs the way the other kids read Superman Returns. And I'm reading them the way other kids read Captain Marvel comics. And I'm reading Allied catalogs. And one day, I see a special. You know, they have the summer catalog. You've seen the flyers. One of the big moments of my life always when I was a kid would be when I would get the spring special bargain flyer from Allied and from Lafayette. Oh, you know. It was a, really, it was a, it was a sexual experience. It, it genuinely was. I mean, I'd sit there and my whole soul would cloud up with insane desire for all these, these spring specials. And there, for 54 cents, was one genuine electric selenium eye available. Now, that was a steal. I had been reading about, you know, all the uses of selenium electric eyes that you can put to, popular mechanics, and, uh, shortwave craft, and all these electric eye articles. So I sent away for an electric eye. <laughs> and a couple of weeks later, it arrived from Allied in one piece, which is quite unusual. Matter of fact, uh, I'll, I'll uh, one, oh listen oh I'll tell you one of the one of the one of the terrible moments of my life. I I, I shouldn't really talk like this because there are a lot of people out there I know are nervous, and uh, on the edge. Let's face it, there are many of them, and I don't want to push you over the edge. By George, can you imagine this guy going over the edge? Wait a minute now, see Shepard comes up to him and and says, "Listen, I'm going to tell you this story." Blah, 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 blah. And then I did blah, 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 blah. Ah! Down he goes into the abyss. And I done it. Well, I don't want to do that to you tonight, so uh, I realize that a lot of you are on the edge of the abyss. And that's an awful deep abyss. I'll tell you, it's awful wide, too. By the way, I would suggest that in case you would like to have a great word to add to your vocabulary, look up abyss. If that doesn't describe life, A-B-Y, it's spelled with two S's, abyss. Uh, another good word that totally describes life. I think it's one of the best thumbnail descriptions of life I've ever read. If any of you have an Oxford unabridged, look up the definition of maelstrom. Maelstrom fantastic description of life. Well, I'm a kid, see, and I get this... I'll tell you, one of the worst experiences I ever had, if you want to hear an awful experience, for nine months, symbolically, nine months, I might point out, I saved every lousy nickel I could lay my hands on. I delivered papers when they weren't even printing them. I went out and delivered them. Through the snow, through the hail through the wind, through the typhoons, through the hurricanes. I ran errands. I, I, I did everything. I, I, I cleaned out basements. I uh, painted houses on the... Oh, everything. Why? Well, for those of you out there who have had any interest in electronics, you'll know why. I was saving to buy a pair of 807s. 807s. Did you ever hear the 807? Well, the 807 is a transmitting tube. Now, let me describe to you what the 807 looks like. The 807 is roughly the size of, uh, 
Well, have you seen the Hires root beer bottles? You know the little the, the little Rheingold uh, chug-a-mugs? That's about the size of an 807, see? It's a beautiful tube, and it has a white, pristine, virginal base. Magnificent tube. And it's got this silver plate cap on the top of it. And the, an, an 807, of, and it's a transmitting tube. Now, the 807 ran something like... Uh, and in those days, I, th- I think something like uh, seven, eight dollars per each, something like that. Well, I saved tooth and nail. I saved day after day to get these eight oh sevens, and then finally I had enough scratch. There it was in my hand, the cash. Well, I rushed down to the post office and I bought a postal money order to the exact amount for a pair of eight oh sevens, and I mailed off the money to Allied Radio where they had these 807s. Now, the 807, you see, was a transmitting tube. It was to enable me to make my transmitter into something that had power behind it, guts. In short, it was to give my voice some real some real strength, my little amateur radio voice. See, up to this point, my, my uh, transmitter consisted of one 6L6, a very, <laughs> a very small 6L6. Well, I waited and I waited. Now, how many of you have ever ordered something from a mail order house? And when you were a kid, primarily, and you were waiting to get this thing. I mean, day after day, I'd come home and I'd ask my mother, I said, is the mail here? Anything for me? No, nothing. Next day, hey, I'm supposed to get a package, Ma. And look, when the package comes, be sure to be very careful. Put it on the, on the dining room table and don't drop it. Don't drop it. These 807s, as I said, were about the size of a Rheingold chug-a-mug, and they were made of the sheerest, most fragile glass. Beautiful, too. A work of art, actually. Right, Skip? A, a classic radio tube of the transmitting variety, which is a beautiful thing. A genuine piece of artwork. I think one day they will have them in museums. They're beautiful things. And that it had that carbon plate in there. Oh, what a... And that Isolantite base, that low-loss RF base, what a piece of work. And my buddy, Gil, down the street, who was the other amateur in the neighborhood, had a pair of 807s. And when they were working, you've never seen anything like it. Do you have uh, any quiet the guitar music in there for me, Skip? A little guitar music in there? Well, if you don't, don't put anything on then. Don't. No, no, nothing else. No, nothing but guitar music will work. Because when these, when these 807s were running at, uh, let's say, at about two-thirds of their rated plate current, about two-thirds, they would glow with a soft cherry glow, the plate. They would glow. And as he would modulate and talk into the microphone, there would be this, this fluttering blue halo effect. Just a fluttering blue soft smoke that would play around the plate. You've seen this? And as he would modulate, it was like the northern lights in a small crystal bottle with a with an orange sun playing the backdrop. And I would watch him use his 807s and burn up with envy. And now the day arrived. The day finally arrived, and there on the living room table was a box marked Fragile, 
Allied Radio Corporation, Jackson Boulevard, Chicago, Rush, Fragile, Technical Equipment, $15 worth of my life, $20 million worth of my dreams, and more. And I took out my Boy Scout knife and carefully, I slipped along the edge of that tape paper. Then I slid it the other way. And then I opened the box that was filled with ground paper. And carefully I removed the ground paper. And there were two cardboard containers that said Taylor Tubes, 807s. Oh, mine, mine, all the wonders of Kublai Khan. And I reached into one of the boxes and opened the end. And out came trickling a long, thin stream of powdered glass. A long, thin stream of powdered glass. I opened the other. And a second stream of powdered glass joined the first. I will never forget that moment. That moment. And somewhere off in the distance, thunder was playing over the low gray waters of the lake. Somewhere, Thor's hammer was preparing another fun surprise. Oh, yes. Happy birthday, dear Charlie. Happy birthday, dear Charlie. Happy birthday, dear Charlie. You see, production will do it every time. That's what you need in your life. A little technology, a few busted 807s, a little echo chamber, some good lighting. of advertising. Hi everybody, this is Andy Williams. You know, being born free means very little unless you take advantage of that freedom. Make the most of it. Get the best education that you can. Of course, this means staying in school, not dropping out. I've watched some dropouts. I've seen what faces them. While the educated ones get the better jobs with raises and promotions, all the dropout really gets are the leavings, the dead-end jobs full of boredom and low pay. It's not a very good prospect, is it? But there's a cure for it, and it's called education, and it adds up to a better, richer life. Take it from me, Andy Williams. We're lucky to be born free. Be sure you take advantage of it and stay in school. Be prepared for the future.
Hello, this is Martha Ray, and that is the most wonderful sound in the world to a performer. It comes from an audience in uniform of our fighting men in Vietnam, and the show they are applauding was brought to them by you through the USO. Yes, in Vietnam and all over the world, Africa, Europe, the Arctic, Okinawa, Korea, USO traveling shows bring fun and laughter to lonely men and women far from home. The most welcome, the most sincerely appreciated shows on earth. I know. I've heard that applause in Vietnam. And now it's my turn to ask you to help keep these shows on the road. Help keep the USO clubs open. Help USO to perform its so very badly needed services to all our armed forces, wherever they may be. USO depends on you, on private contributions, because USO gets no government funds. Won't you give, through your United Fund or community chest, someone you know needs USO? You know what my favorite place is in all the whole world? The soda fountain? Nope, the public library. That's library. Library. Boy, there we got stuff. What kind of stuff? All kinds of stuff. A whole lot of books and songs and pictures of dinosaurs. Yeah? And nice ladies who read stories to me and other kids. And other ladies my mommy talks to. And it gets all kinds of magazines from. With furniture and cooking stories in them. Yeah? And last time, last time they had movies all about real spacemen. And my sister got to take home a record to play. Took it out of the place? Sure, the library. Library. The library lady lets you take stuff home if you have a library card, which I got by writing my name is on. You can write your name? Well, I can print it. Your public library. <laughs> 